So I became a barista after I graduated from university. And that was, I think, for about eight, uh, was for about eight to nine months before someone came to me with an offer of, of you know, being a microbiologist in, a, in an agri-tech. And those eight months, oh man, they were fun. <laughs> they were, they were not, they were everything that, you know, formalized education was not. Really? It was very interesting. It was very, very interesting. Erong is a food scientist in a local sustainability startup. Her work centers on devising new ways to upcycle surplus produce and the unwanted byproducts of food manufacturing. Formerly a microbiologist in a agritech MNC, she was involved in the treatment of slaughterhouse wastewater as well as the development of field-ready COVID-19 test kits and the African swine fever. Erong graduated from the Durham University in England with a natural sciences degree in 2018. So hello, Erong. Thank you just so much for joining me in this podcast where we can talk about your career and why did you study um, this, this uh, environmental sciences? Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's get started. All right, I love your, your, your energy, right? So tell us a bit more about um, yourself. Why did you study this field uh, in natural sciences in the UK? You know, when you first proposed this question to me, I was a bit, it was a bit troublesome for me to come up with this answer because I didn't want to give something overly cliche. And I thought about it, like, why is it so difficult for me uh, to, 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 to understand why I started uh, in uh, studying science. And then I realized, because it comes from a, a not so perhaps politically correct place, I was always a rubbish student. So um, back in uh, primary school or, or secondary school, science was actually the only thing I did well in. And so I thought, okay, I, I, could, do, I could do something with this. At first, it, were, it came from a place of a lot of practicality. Yeah, I can do something in science, even if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm horrible at Chinese, if I'm horrible at math, if I'm horrible in English, if I'm horrible at basically every other thing. And then, so I think somewhere along the way, I generally just um, started to develop a, a proper interest in science. Mm, I started to see um, a lot of real-world applications, uh, its benefit to mankind, I thought to myself, if I could be part of that, that would be, that would be quite nice. And mm. then from science transformed from a place, from you know, a, simply a school subject that made me feel good to something I decided, maybe I'd like to dedicate the rest of my, or at least a large part of my life to the subject. And at what point in your life was that? Was it uh, in it's hard to tell. It was a, a bit of like a slow burn. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, there's, no, there's no certain point. There, there's sometimes I really disliked disliked um, what I was doing. Like I was just looking at I was just looking at uh, a topic I didn't understand, or I had to do a task that I didn't particularly like. You kind of like something a hundred percent, I think. So after that, it was just. But it was a slow burn. Like you can dislike something a lot, you can dislike something very, very much. But at the end of the day, if there's still a little bit that they still like, and you build upon that thing that you like, uh, the aspect of uh, of the of the subject that you like, 
I think you can you can do something with it. What were those things that you say that you did early on that you didn't like? Oh gosh, like I said, I was always science is a is a is a, is a broad multidisciplinary field, right? And I was never a particularly strong student at mathematics. So, um, of course, in science there'll be a lot of things where I would have to do statistics. I, I hated statistics, um, so I would spend lots of time poring over all these. Um, Theories I can't even remember anymore. And then after a while, it was, it was just a bit, it was just a bit of a drag, really. But I think after, I think that's, I think just just something that you have to take if you want to pursue a, a career in uh, STM. Yeah. Mm. And, and then you say that you decided to dedicate uh, your, your life to study um, sciences, what was it for that attracted you to this lifelong um, um, purpose? So, uh, the science I, um, I'm particularly interested in is environmental sciences. Mm-hmm. It's something that um, I've always been, when I, when I was a small kid, I was always quite interested in nature. I was always very interested in um, how, how, how we should protect it, um, how things could be sustainable. Because I, I it would be nice, you know, for our planet to last, given our current consumption habits. Mm. And science is a place where you create things, you know, that last for a very long time. It would be nice to create something that, you know, were to outlive me, were to outlast me. Very much like an architect of, of the lab, really. Mm. And so I'm trying to link back to what you said about uh, you're not really good in math and, and uh other subjects, uh, but you're good in science and you have this passion uh, to, to do it for the environment. I understand that uh, for science degrees, there's always papers to read, journal papers, um, there will be some math involved because there would be statistics, <laughs> which I know that uh, yeah. would be a bore to read. How did you you know, overcome them as you encountered them in your studies? Or was the pedigree in the UK um, university uh, slightly different from what I just described? Uh, it's a bit the same. I think um, they are more reliant on uh, machines and software there rather than pure statistics, uh, statistical theory. Because I was in NUS for three months before uh, I decided to fly over to the UK to get my um, to get my degree. And um, yeah, in I feel that in the in the UK they focus a lot more on on um, on software. Of course, there's a lot of software in Singapore involved as well, but they also focus a lot on uh, theory. Um, actual manual calculations, and even if uh, it's something I don't particularly enjoy, to be honest, during those three months, anyways, I, I forced myself through it. So, if you want to, if you do something, you, you, if you want to continue doing something in your career, carving out a career path in say the environmental sciences, the first thing I had to accept was there was a lot of things that I didn't like to do. Because the environmental sciences are such a are such a big, broad, multidisciplinary field, so um, of course it's going to be statistics. Of course, it's going to be some level of marketing, communications. I have to learn a wide range of things from all these different other different uh, topics. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because you know when I first met you in uh, NUS, uh, we we were I I was in uh, I met you in one of the first courses I, I took in NUS and and. Mm. Uh, is I also started in environmental sciences uh, before I, I switched my major to economics. But 
besides that, you, you were in NUS for three months and you've been through like half a semester. You've seen, um, you've uh, experienced some of the lectures and the tutorials there. What was the difference that you felt uh, that you have seen now that you went through four years in, in, in the UK? Uh, what was the difference in, in terms of oh, the... Three years, three years in the UK. Three years in the UK. Yeah, so yeah. What, what do you think was the difference between the learning experience in, in these two places? Mm. I think it's not very fair for me to give an accurate assessment for NUS uh, because I was only there for about three months. But during those three months, uh, I was on scholarship. I was in USP. I was overloading um, my semesters. Um, it will be, and I will be overloading um, my semesters for I think the, the next one and a half years. And the thing about NUS is that I think every semester, uh, so every uh, module, you take every module for like six months, mm. uh, six months, and then you move on to a new set of modules uh, in the next semester. But in the UK, um, they do a, a single set of modules for the whole year. And I thought, oh, it's better, you know, there's more, there's more, like more in depth. I get to, there's, there's less like interruptions. It would be nice to be able to do, um, to, you know, not have to suddenly, um, to finally get into a module, get into a subject, get into a topic. And then suddenly, oh, I have to switch six months later. Oh, a new, a new thing is coming in. You know, there's all these requirements to fulfill. I think in the UK, they are a bit more straightforward with their requirements. Just take them. Um, some specific number of subjects in a specific from a specific number of departments and then things will um, and then you can get your degree lah. but I did um, but it was also good for me because I took um, a degree um, natural sciences I selected from the school of uh, the school of the department of geography and the department of uh, biology and I think in um, NUS in environmental studies you can only go the biology path or the geography path. Yeah. And that wasn't something I, I wanted because I enjoyed both subjects genuinely. Mm. So why the UK in, in particular? What, what was the research that you've done um, of all places in the world uh, that you could do this natural sciences degree? Mm. I think I've always just wanted to travel really and, be, and anywhere would do. The UK was just the most, um, was just I think the most accessible in terms of the language spoken and in terms of um, because the school was known to be quite established in natural sciences and in geography and in biology. So I thought, okay, why not? I didn't want to go to a London school. I didn't want to go um, in, in, you know, a place in the city. I wanted to go somewhere a bit farther away where there was more, where there was more country, where there was more natural environment to work with. And I wanted to be able to um, see all the, different types of, um, well, how, basically how the, the natural the natural environment differed between the UK and Singapore. I think that's not something you can get in the city where everything is manicured. Mm. Yeah, because in, in London, it's pretty much flat ground everywhere and uh, yeah. uh, historical it's buildings. Some conservation land here and there, but after a while, you know, that's not what really the environment is about. Okay. It's full of what the natural environment is about. Yeah. So what's the, how would you describe the natural environment uh, in that uh, uh, state that you study in? Where, where is Durham? Is it like North England? Yeah, I, I it's, it's, it's up north. It's about an hour and a half away from Edinburgh by train. About 10 minutes from Newcastle by train. Yeah. Wow, oh an gosh. hour and a half away from Edinburgh. Just, Edinburgh is north. like 
super yeah. north in England, right? Well, love flatland, love grassland, very nice countryside, a lot of woods. Of course, there's the seasons as well, so it's always nice to, to see how it changes uh, throughout the year. The winters are a bit brutal, though, because when I was there, we had the bees from the east, and we had, like, I think, like about nine inches of snow. Nine inches? Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But that was fun. I, I couldn't leave the house or anything. It was, it was quite. It was quite fun. <laughs> I just stayed at home, watched, like all the the rain. Some just come down. Now, so okay, this is fine. I've got my cup of hot tea. I can do. So I suppose you did I some traveling as well in the Europe, right? To yeah, uh, it's also it's also very easy to get around because, um, I found that uh, in Singapore, you know, uh, we have things like you know reading week and, and things like that. But there's not. There's only like one week, and then you have your Christmas break. There's like one month, one one, and then you've got your summer holidays. Mm. So again, that's like about three, three and a half months. Um, and then during that time, your professors won't disturb you. They won't. They won't talk to you at all. Um, they say, "Oh, have a good break. Bye bye. Bye bye. We won't see you until forever. Hopefully, this sort of thing." So there's a so I, I use this time um, where I knew I would not be disturbed mm. to just go around uh, the European continent and it was good because uh, plane flights were cheap as well and it was of course cheaper than somehow sometimes traveling around in the UK because the UK is pretty expensive. Mm. Like if I were to go uh, from Durham to London, maybe on peak days a one a one way train would be like a hundred pounds, but then I could fly somewhere from Newcastle Airport about an hour away for about like twenty-five pounds. Okay, I'll take the I'll take the second option. So, uh, for students who um, uh, undergraduates these days, they would spend their summers doing internships, gather work experiences, um, or maybe do a startup and all that kind of stuff. How did you spend um, your summers in in the UK or in Europe? Mm. For the first two years, for the first two years, I actually did uh, some internships, um, environment uh, conservation internships. Um, I got a grant from the university, uh, two grants, and then um, I was able to go to um, the, my first year. I was able to go to the Galapagos in Ecuador, where I was based at the Giant Tortoise Breeding Center on uh, Isabella Island. That was very fun. I was there for about. It was more like a like a like a volunteer internship sort of thing, so I was I was happy to get uh, I was happy to to get grants for that. But that was very exciting. I I enjoyed myself very much there. The people were very friendly. I got to know the locals. I'm also getting they named the tortoise after me at the center. I wonder how that tortoise is right now. <laughs> and and what did you learn the most um, from those experiences in terms of? Um because you mentioned at the start that you wanted to dedicate uh, your life to study and help the environment. <clears throat> How did these experiences help you uh, in this aspect? To be honest, I don't think taking... Um, of course, going to the Galapagos was amazing and everything, but unfortunately, from, from an environmental point of view, it may not have been the best thing that I could have done as an environmental studies student, and I accept that. Um, because 
I asked my um, there was a there was a a conservationist based at the at the organization I was doing my internship under, and then I asked him, oh, so so tell me more about this um, being in the Galapagos. Like, what 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 good is it? What what are what are you know the interns doing rather than you know just learning about learning about you know coming coming to the coming to the uh, the breeding center three times a week, just having a look around, doing some based manual labor and then leaving then he was like oh you just get bragging rights so I think that's what a lot of um, internships uh, well environmental internships are about it is very difficult to get a, a leg up in the environmental sciences as a career that is um that I think that's a hard fact there are loads of unpaid internships um saturation in the job market everybody wants to go to Africa everybody wants to help the elephants and the lions and the zebras everybody wants to um, you know um, conserve conserve and preserve wildlife but to get there you need years and years of experience and loads and loads of unpaid internships I do know a lot of my peers who are still going on doing volunteer positions on unpaid internship. I'm happy that I only had to do two of them. Mm -hmm. No, I'm kind of curious. Why are the internships unpaid? Because as a student, you're there to still contribute and provide your services, be it research or operations or administration of the conservation work. And those, from an economic standpoint, still has economic value because someone, a like a conservation body would be willing to um, pay or they have a yearly budget to to do the conservation work so I'm kind of confused like why wouldn't want why wouldn't why wouldn't they um, pay interns on that because I mentioned market saturation everybody wants to everybody wants to be able to to go to these so so called like exotic places even though there's no such thing as you know it's exotic it's a very dehumanizing word to use Mm. Um, everybody wants to be able to go to, um, like, you know, save, you know, rare endangered wildlife. There are lots of people climbing, climbing over each other to get these sorts of jobs. So, of course, you know, a lot of organizations tend to take advantage of that by just not paying people at all. At the same time, um, also with the organizations that I work with, they were very small, small volunteer-based organizations, um, so those could not, how to say, it was it, not easy. Okay. Mm. So, so, so well, people were like coming on top of could not other. afford to pay. Okay. Yeah, from what I, yeah. Mm. So, okay, I understood. But I think if I did not have uh, my university grants or if I did not have the money that I, that I, that I had from working some part-time jobs in university, I probably would not have been able to go really. It was it was a good experience, and again, I've as the conservationist at the Galapagos said I have bragging rights. So okay, whatever. Mm. Bragging rights. Uh, so bragging so rights. those bragging rights will eventually help you to get into the door of a um, of a more um, coveted conservation body. Like what what are the some of the best places that you can be in in this uh, industry? Oh gosh, directors of the most 
famous institutes like your WWF. This is what everybody wants to do. You know, you have your own or you own your own startup in some in what, what Nigeria working with working with the wildlife there, all those, those sorts of things. Mm. Or of course academics is always um, it's always a big um, it's always a big thing. But I think what I've realized and the reason why I've, I've sort of come back to Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, after graduation was that I realized that a lot of environmental efforts needed to be how to say localized I feel it's not about um, people going off and taking a gap year in some very fancy place you know it's just coming back and sort of and with your with your with the experience that you've got from going around the world coming back and seeing how these can be applied to the local situation because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, benefit to keeping things localized. There's a lot of benefit. Um, there's a lot of benefit working in the community that raised you. You 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 know you know that community best, um, and it makes a lot of uh, environmental sense as well. Because carbon footprint is a lot uh, lower as well when you focus your efforts on a local scale from a bottom up. I have a, have a more bottom up approach. I feel, yeah. Okay, so you went. So you first went to the UK because you wanted to study the environment there, and <clears throat> um, there's more diversity. Just get a more international qualification because I lived in Singapore my whole life before. I was getting a bit okay. Maybe I should go. I should go see the world. You know, I definitely have the grades to mm-hmm. to, to go to go to go for to for an overseas education. You know. And after that, so you came back. Decided to come back to Singapore because you wanted. To get more localized and and uh, I did. I've always I I always thought that you know after 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 I've I've gone around seen uh seen a bit of the world outside Singapore I would always return to Singapore you know whether to work or whether to die you know but I would always return to Singapore. Okay, so you decided to come back to Singapore to 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 pursue to be, to continue to build your career in uh, conservation and environmental sciences. And mm-hmm. I saw that. You, oh, that was a bit of a detour. Uh, okay, tell me about it. Because when I um, when I came back to Singapore, I just said I just sat down and I thought to myself, you know, uh, at that point I've been studying science for I think about over a decade. I've just been studying it, and then I haven't done anything else. Of course, environmental science is 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 a is a diverse thing, but can there be something even more out there? Can I can I just do something with with my time? So uh, I just didn't even think about it. Um, I just went on Facebook and applied for a barista job. And within one week, I had it, and I accepted the first uh, barista job that I got. So I became a barista after I graduated from university. And that was, I think, for about eight, uh, was for about eight to nine months before someone came to me with an offer of, of you know being a microbiologist in a in an agritech, and those eight months, oh man, they were fun. <laughs> they were they were not. They were everything that you know formalized education was not. Really, it was very interesting. It was very very interesting. I so felt that, a cafe that, in Singapore, right? Uh, what I was, yeah, I was in a cafe in Singapore. Oh, okay. it was like, it was like a franchise. So I, they they would move me from all the different branches. And you know, you you learn things that you don't learn in your degree. Mm-hmm. Like literally, the difference between a flat white and a cappuccino and a decaf and a latte and a what? Okay, that was, okay, that was fun. And then, um, 
also um I learned a lot about there was still an environmental aspect to coffee as well mm-hmm. particularly how how different coffee tasted from different regions mm, the uh, green coffee how green coffee was produced what were the difficulties um and from an agricultural point of view yeah and then of course how how to get how how to how to get along with people because it, it, i think in my degree i just spent a lot of time in my room reading studying it was, it was nice to you know get out there and meet people that I normally may not have had the opportunity to meet. It was very fun. And, and to, to, to be able to interact with a range of customers as well, because actually I, I think that I'm quite a shy person. I'm quite a private person. So um, so having to force myself to, to, to talk to people, to talk to customers, to interact with them, um, that was a huge learning point for me. And you, you don't you don't do that in your university for such a long time maybe you, maybe you have like a module of of you know you have like a module of, of public speaking or whatever yeah. but you don't apply to to like real life situations and to do such such an unusual um to take such a like like a detour after graduating with a degree I was like okay mm-hmm. it was something I, I found I found very enjoyable I liked it very much okay um, great and I think then- I may actually even have continued. Uh, before the that, that job offer came along, yeah. How did that job mm-hmm. offer come along? Uh, as a someone offered you a role in my as a microbiologist, because okay. so you were basically waiting and applying jobs while being a barista. No, no, I wasn't time. even applying for jobs at all. You were happy as like, a barista. I was happy as a barista. I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll maybe I even go back and do my masters. You know, um, uh-huh. I like environmental sciences, but oh man, coffee is fun as well. <laughs> And then, um, <laughs> okay. so, so, so I think you can see like how, how much my, how deep my passion lies. Uh. And then, um, and then suddenly my, um, actually it was, it was, it was very funny. Um, I wasn't applying for jobs at all. Literally, like, I, I, I couldn't be bothered because I thought, okay, you know, it's always, um, it's always better to get a, to get a job. Uh, no, it's always better to, uh, sorry, there's always an incentive for, for people who study science to go on and do further education. Further education is something that I really, really want as well. Mm. So as you can see, it's, it's much like um, my my degree is, my, my mind is also a bit, yeah, I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to do so many, so many things. Because mm. eventually so you I want thought, to be a scientist, right? That's why you, I you, do. You I still, I, I, I do. Of course I do. I want to be a scientist with barista experience. Mm, and that makes good coffee in the office, right? It makes good coffee, not just in the <laughs> office. But um, who has that bit of versatility, who doesn't have just one specific skill set. I've got a scientific skill set, I've mm-hmm. got a fieldwork skill set, and then I've got a barista skill set. Three different things that can probably weather me down in any recession, really. Okay, and then what happened? Uh, how did that job offer as a microbiologist uh, come along in your way? while you were okay. making coffee in so it wasn't a job offer for a microbiologist per se it's just that I, after that after I worked in a company I got I got promoted to a micro microbial technician or like a microbiologist role um, so huh. it was very funny because my again I mentioned I wasn't applying for any jobs I was just very happy learning I, I thought I would have stayed as a barista for some time mm-hmm. um, and then my my house uh, underwent an on block on block. And then my, 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 my dad came to me and said, oh, um, I've met someone in, the, in an on-block meeting. She's looking for someone to produce um, 
someone to produce uh, a bio solutions, someone to um, to do some uh, microbiological testing. She was looking for someone specifically with a science degree, very very general with a science degree. Mm. And my my dad, my dad was like, oh yeah, my daughter has a science degree. I was like, okay, okay, we we we, we can get her interview. We can get her interview. I was like, okay. I, I can try it out. I mean, if I, if I, now, now because I was thinking really about, about, about going overseas on, to do my master's and now I was like, okay, if I don't have to do my master's and get some work experience, oh, that sounds nice. So yeah. very, very, I'm very, very chill and very, very flexible, really. And then, so I, so, so the lady um, was like, okay, so you'll have to go to, uh, you'll be working very closely with uh, slaughterhouses, with the abattoir, with um, basically where people don't really want to work, which I found was a bit okay. So I was like, she was like, she was like, so is your nose very sensitive? Can you handle the smell? I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And then I got the job. So you went to the slaughterhouses in Singapore? Yes, yes. I had to go there every week to, to look over, to oversee the um, application of biosolutions. I would produce the biosolutions, QC the biosolutions because we were very small. We were very small. Uh, we were a very small group a very small company and subsidiary company under the umbrella of a larger company. And then, yeah, so we had a lot of ties. We had a lot of ties with the abattoir. So they wanted um, a microbial based approach to dealing with the wastewater there. Uh, Iran, I just want to talk more about this topic. Where, where is the slaughterhouse in Singapore and how did you feel as a environmentalist uh, walking into a slaughterhouse because I know environmentalists are big on going vegan, uh, going vegetarian because meat is such a huge, uh, it, it consumes a lot of resources in, in, in the world. Um, it takes a lot mm. of energy just to produce a little bit of uh, energy and and, and, and uh, there's, there's a huge message about going meatless and, and, uh, and, and, and we have Beyond Meat as well. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us more about how how did you feel in in this uh, uh, in in in, in uh, while working in in, in this uh, slaughterhouse. Again, I was surprisingly I was very I was very chill. I prepared myself to see anything. Um, I think environmental scientists, um, a lot of their work also centers around agriculture, so uh, finding more sustainable sustainable ways to deal with the problems in agriculture. The way things are going in Singapore, you're not going to get rid of meat anytime soon. What we can do is, you know, try to find ways to perhaps make it a little bit more sustainable, make it a little bit more, make make it a little bit more environmentally friendly. So instead of using, for example, really harsh chemicals to sort out the the wastewater, we would use a live bacteria, which would break down, which would biologically break down the waste in the wastewater, and then um, make it a lot easier to treat. But I, I think, um, and also um, a lot of work um, understands about you know how 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 to how to treat how to treat the livestock, um, what what to feed them, um, what what sort of goals do you want to get out of a specific type of animal feed? Do you want the pigs to, for example, to fart less? For example, there, there is there are formulas for that to fart less, <laughs> to, to retain more, more, yeah, to have less waste. Uh-huh. To retain more, um, to retain more uh, lean Nutrients. meat yeah. and less okay. belly fat. Yeah, that's thing as well. So that's a lot of what um, that was a large part of what my previous company did. Um, it was interesting. The smell was um, very um, 
So not something I'll forget really. <laughs> I, I had to go there every week to um, oh to handle the bio solutions. Okay. So you know, I I I know the I, I know the code to the back gate and all that kind of things. All the security guards will recognize me. I, I I was the only I was the only female contractor there, and it was very very funny. Like I would walk past like the staff canteen, and they would all be like all these um old old men who you know who would auction off the pigs and all that. They would just be like, oh yeah yeah that's they're gawking yeah. at you and like. Oh yeah, yeah, that that's a look at look at that girl, look at that girl. Oh, yeah, look at that one. <laughs> and it was it was funny, it was funny. Um, okay. Yeah. And then what happened after after that uh, uh, stint in in that uh, agri tech MNC? Mm. Um, the job offer for um for this food sustainability one came along. I thought, oh my goodness, that's seamless because this is what a lot of environmental scientists in Singapore. This is a problem that a lot of environment, uh, something that a lot of environmental scientists in Singapore can work on. It's a huge environmental issue. Food is a huge environmental issue. We can work. Um, if it, like I talked about earlier, like um, localizing uh, any environmental efforts, if we can localize, you know, sustainability sustainability efforts around something that is so integral to the Singapore identity, food, then I would have done my job. So really, so, so my first time was in Agritech, you know, basically in the, um, uh, the start of the, the, food co the food consumption line, the food timeline. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I found myself at the end of the food timeline where food was about to be thrown away. Mm. And then... I was part of, um, I, I just joined. I, I'm very new. So now I'm a, a food sustain, uh, I'm, I'm the food technologist of, um, of this place that uh, tries to use uh, surplus ingredients and upcycles it and tries to make uh, new products that can be sold mm, from a business point of view. So they, they valorize food waste and ingredients. And I think that's such an important topic in Singapore today. Mm. Yeah, I think food waste uh, is a big topic because people throw food away. Um, I, I read a statistic somewhere where tons, millions and tons of food is being thrown away every year. And uh, it, it, it causes, uh, it, strain, it poses a strain on the environment uh, because not all food can be broken down or recycled easily. So what, what is Upcycle? Tell us a bit more about uh, this concept. So we think something that people may uh, consider um, unwanted or perhaps unusable, and then we make it into something usable, we value add the product uh, to the product. So what my company is, is, is known for um, um, is, is making beer out of mm -hmm. bread, out of surplus bread. And I think that there's, I think there's like this massive... Uh, um, uh, a lot of stigma in Singapore at the moment that I have to deal with um, that, you know, somehow dealing with food waste is inherently a dirty thing. So I tell people, oh yeah, I work with, uh, I work with surplus food or I work with surplus food. And they're like, eee, so you take people's leftover from the rubbish bin uh, and then you, you do something like that. Eee, so unhygienic. No, that is not true. Because, you know, surplus food, that's not equal to food waste. So what we do is to intercept the surplus food 
before they can become food waste. It's as simple as that. It's very hygienic. There's no, we don't use other people's half-eaten food or things like that. No, no. Yeah. So okay. yeah. So, mm. so you went uh, again just to recap, right? You went to the UK because you wanted to to, to do um, studies in environmental studies. Um, you wanted to help the environment. Then you came back to Singapore because you wanted to do some. You want to contribute to the local um, environment where you grew up. Right, mm. and you want to help the environment in, in 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 this place, and your family is here as well. So, in a nutshell, what does a career mean to you, really? And what is it like to pursue a career in in this field of sustainability? Mm. A career to me, that's a that's a loaded question because I still now don't have a concrete answer to that. I still have a goal. I want to be. Scientists maybe get my PhD, things like that, and that's something you know you work towards. But that doesn't mean you know I disrespect everything that comes in between. And even if I don't hit that goal in the end, because it's a difficult goal, because I think I'm not going to beat myself up over it. Because you know it's all circumstances. A lot of people say, oh, "Okay, so so you know if you really you know, Working as a barista, why are you doing things like working in a in an agritech company where you just do, where you just do um basically just do production? Why 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 are you working in a food? What, what, what's so what's so useful? You know about working with all these food. Food is not food is just food. Right? Food is not all oh, the environment, the trees, the mountains. And I think that's a very uh, narrow-minded sort of mindset to have. The environment can be. I think apply to everything and anything. The environment that they use to produce the food, the environment that receives the food waste, and the environment in between. So, a career, a career is a goal that I can work towards. I think, but something that I will not be super super upset if I don't if I don't reach it because I believe. A lot in versatility. I believe a lot in flexibility, and we must. And it's important to be a wide, as wide range of skill sets as possible, mm-hmm. that can get you through and help you do well in life. Even if I, if I, if I don't manage to get a PhD or graduate of PhD, or become the director of WWF, or you know the World Health Organization, or, or things like that. You have to accept that sometimes things are a bit. Um, I'm not saying that I have a defeatist attitude. I'm still going to work as hard as I can. I am still working very hard right now, mm. but I, I just should be flexible about whatever outcome that I receive because I've know I've done my absolute best. Mm. When you career, that, I, I suppose that's what a career is. You know, a culmination of your your best efforts, regardless of the outcome. Mm. And when you say versatility. Um, you talk about acquiring a wide skill set of experiences and and um, 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 skills that you can do. So you've acquired um, barista making, which is a big thing to you. Uh, you know about um, environmental studies. What are some other uh, skill sets that you really like to that you really like to um, go deeper in or? or gain more breadth in? 
um, as a hobby, you know, I, I like to paint. I like to paint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd like to start um, delving into things like uh, videography and cinematography. I think that might be quite nice. You know, I, I read somewhere that you should always have five hobbies, you know, one that makes you money, one that um, uh, harnesses your creativity, one that allows you to, um, to expand your knowledge. So I, I, I want to try, it's like the infinity stones. I want to try to get all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it has to be something that I enjoy, something that I see. Mm-hmm. If it's something that I, I generally, generally like, generally am content with, then I can... I think I can talk myself into trying to deal with the things about those topics that I don't like, including statistics. Mm. Okay. So, mm. so you're like a more purpose-driven as long as there is a skill that, <clears throat> that you can gain that can really get you uh, mm. on, on one of these uh, meaningful purposes. You wouldn't mind doing it even though it comes with some uh, difficulties that uh, you, you, would, you know you would struggle with. Yeah. So sometimes, right, people are people ask me, "Oh, Iran, why are you doing things that are so seemingly different and so so diverse?" And you know, they are not; they don't seem related to each other. But mm-hmm. somehow or another, they always seem to met. They always seem to somehow match up in the end. When I got my bur- uh, when I was a barista. And then I was interviewing for the job at the agritech in this in the in the agritech. I was like, yes, I, I was learning a, a lot about coffee. I was learning about how people use it. Um, the fine line after forty hands, you know. I, I finally learned um how, how how people use it. What's green coffee like? And then the person interviewing interviewing me was like, you know, we've actually just acquired a coffee chain uh, overseas. You know, when we, we could do something with your, your, your related coffee knowledge. So, you know, you, you don't think about it. Barista work, agri-tech work, there's a huge gap in between, but suddenly they just seem to, to you know, meld together. And, okay, let's backtrack a bit, all right? So, mm-hmm. uh, after I left NUS, there was like a couple of, uh, a couple of months before I, start, I would start uh, going off to the UK. Uh, so, instead of doing things like an internship or proper like uh, in, a, in a fancy corporation, I went to work in a kitchen making soda, making jam and soda. Wait, was that in Singapore or in, in the UK? That was in Singapore, yes. Okay, making and, jam. And um, making jam and soda. But the company, I, I don't think it's, it's around anymore, sadly. Um, mm. And again, it was, people were like, Aaron, why do you want to work in a kitchen? Why don't you take a job with uh, some, some environmental age, uh, uh, internship with some sort of environmental agency? Now, in my job as a food technologist in a food sustainability startup, I have to devise in recipes for environmentally friendly sodas. So something that was so unrelated, now I have to... <laughs> now I am... It's, so, it's, it's, it's been so helpful to me so far, you know? It's really been so unusual. Mm. How, uh, that's why you should not disrespect all the steps that come in between where you are at your point of in the career. You know, everyone's like, oh, you know, so you've worked in the abattoir. Oh, that's gross. That's disgusting. Why, why would you want to look down on people who produce, who help produce your food? Why would you want to point fingers at people? Oh, look at, look at them producing food in the abattoir. That's so filthy. And then later you go and eat your ramen. Like, where's the, 
where's the, the logic in that, you know? Yeah, I yeah. guess uh, in, in economics, there's this term, uh, not in my backyard, meaning people don't want... Yeah. Yeah, to, they know it's happening, but they just you know, pretend they do. As long as I, I don't get my hands in it, I'm like, oh, okay, you know? So, mm. yeah. So, uh, so, even if it's something that I don't, I don't like or, or I don't enjoy, like, you know, like, again, we keep on bringing up statistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still, you know, even if I don't like it, I still understand that I have to do it. Because it may be so so much more helpful to some, maybe not now, but to some point further down my career. And I still have a very, very long way to go. Mm. That's a great point. Um, so, Irong, as you talk about um, your different, your past experience, would you say um, that it was luck that uh, you did those things that eventually mattered in future now? Or would you say that it's because you were able to um, use your experience to your advantage regardless of what you did you were able to pick up some of the lessons that you learned there I think about 50, I think about 50-50 really um, of course it was a large very big coincidence that my father just happened to be to stand beside a woman at that um, at an on-block meeting, and be like, oh yeah, 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 we have a we have a we have a position opening for a degree holder. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, um, for other really um, for other uh, things like you know working in a jam and soda factory, there was a lot of my own initiative as well. Because somehow I, I, I don't know, maybe I, I felt that I, I trusted my gut that it would it was something that I enjoyed doing it that it would really help me in future somehow even though if it wasn't a professional qualification or one of those fancy five C's that people like to talk about so much, um, even then they would tell, oh, how do I say this? Hmm. Yeah, a lot of it will be initiative as well because for a lot of things, I, I, I'm generally, when it comes to you know jobs, I'm, I'm generally quite shameless. If I like something, I, I will, I tend to go after it. And that was why I probably I didn't really apply for a lot of jobs while I was working as a barista because I thought to myself, well, I'm happy doing barista work now, learning about the economics of coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased. I'm quite pleased. Um, and also the, the job, not the job that were coming out um, on job, also just didn't feel like I would be a good fit. So if I like something, I go for it shamelessly, unabashedly. Um, and then the rest is luck. There will always be a, a bit of luck, maybe a bit of connections as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I also got my uh, my current job. I, I got it in a very, um, perhaps not in a uh, very unusual way, not through a job portal or anything. I got it through Facebook. So, through Facebook? Yeah. Okay. I got more. the job through Facebook. Okay. Because uh, the company that I'm, I'm with is, is, you know, we are a food a sustainability startup. Mm-hmm. So so he, he they posted a job um opportunity on Facebook I was like okay let's have a look at it and then I didn't expect them to message me back and I was like oh okay talk about it oh and then he, he, he um we so we had the interview then two weeks later he got he, he got back to me I was like are you are you ready to take on the job I was like I'm a bit nervous but okay you know okay and yeah so of all the things I'm probably not the the best person to go to if you want proper career advice, 
how to write your resume or, or anything like that, how to dress well for an interview. My interview was held through Zoom. I was, I was just in my t-shirt, really. How to dress well for interview, how to behave properly, because a lot of things, well, in startup culture, are done in unusual ways. And having this sort of flexibility and sort of, hmm, probably, okay, disrespect would be a harsh word to use, but sort of, um, You pay less mind to formal conventions and then work towards finding something more innovative, behaving in more innovative ways. Mm, that's basically been what I've Oh, that's been. interesting because it sounds yeah. like you're doing things that is very closely aligned with your personal values, your beliefs and your purpose, even though you're not in the most fancy office job or or the kind of job that your friends would glamorize, but it seems like you're very, um, you're, you're basically very happy with, with what you're doing and it's very closely quite, aligned with your yeah, purpose. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually, uh, even if it was, even though it's probably, it probably, it's probably not, I can go further because I'm so, I'm, I'm so young in my career right now. I try to find the good in everything, um, of course, I, I'm a realist. I'm a, a bit of a realist. I can see, oh, when something is not going to work, uh, I can give criticisms when, you know, when it's called for. But I generally try to see what's po uh, the positive things in every career that I'm in, even if it's not the, perhaps the most glamorous job or perhaps something that uh, a lot of people um, perhaps look down upon or are very condescending about. I, I think after a while, you just... You just you, you just can't be bothered about what other people think, and just you should just do what you feel is right. What what's in your gut? Trust well, your gut a bit more. Well, that's interesting. You are able to shrug off those condescending remarks, uh, because you know. Well, I can't be bothered. You can't please anyone, really. Yeah, you have that purpose in heart, and you 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 are totally convinced. Yeah. No, and I really, no, really, I just don't have the energy. You know, I rather you spend the energy having a nice long, good nap. <laughs> And then wake up refreshed, work on my recipes. And then I don't have to be bothered about what people think. So there are some people who are like, oh, Irong, what, what you do is really cool. Okay, okay, thank you very much. Or, and there, but then there's some people that are like, oh, Irong, what you do is really, really weird, really, really disgusting. You're such a weird person. But then I have this group of people that think I'm really cool and tell me to never, ever change. So I think I, I'm sorry. I'm going, the, the group that calls me disgusting, bye-bye, you know. <laughs> that is just basically my point. Wow, that's interesting. Um, maybe would you like to share with us a bit about how did you find your purpose? Because that can be a topic that a lot of people maybe may struggle with, um, because you know they're just basically going with the flow, uh, going with what their parents tell them to do, going with what society values. Um, that uh, because this is a high-paying job or because this is glamorous and you, you just go after that. Um, but sometimes deep down, they kind of feel like, you know, I'm just uh, in autopilot mode, neither happy mm. nor unhappy. And those people who were able to find a purpose eventually became happier. So how did you find your purpose um, and, and build such... Uh, conviction around it that you will that you know that you would be satisfied and and now it clearly shows that you're very happy with what you do despite any kind of criticisms that come along the way well again a lot of it was a lot of it was learning a lot of it 
as you mentioned, was going with the flow. Like if you backtrack it like 20 years ago or whatever, like I was still a, not 20 years ago, I'm not, I'm not that old, but, but like, okay, let's say 15 years ago, I was still like this little uttering science student. Oh, my purpose is just to do well in school. If I can have something nice to work, if I can have something, a subject that I'm good at, you know, I'll be, I'll be happy. Then I found a subject that I was good at, that was science. Then I was a bit happy. And then ultimately, as I grew and I matured and developed a bit, oh, I want, I, I want, I don't, I don't want a job that's just in an office, you know, I want to be able to explore. I want to go out and see the world. Then I went overseas and I was happy. And then I'll be, um, I'll be like, oh, I, I, want to, I want to do something that, you know, is a bit more diverse. I want to, that, that's important. My purpose is to be diverse, to be, to be as, um, to have a large, as broad ranging, as uh, generalist as a skill set as I possibly can, because that's going to be so helpful, especially, you know, in these very uh, uncertain times and changing, um, where there's a lot of fluctuations and changes. Then I became a barista. And then now I've said, okay, so now I want everything to compile together and give me a job that I, that I enjoy. I want to work with an international team. I want to work with a, with a team that, um, that makes use of my, my, technical, my technical education, my, my formal qualifications. But I also want to be uh, informal in terms of my mindset because that, 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 that allows for progress, not being shoved into one little box. Then I got my job as a food tech in a startup. So I think if I, I, I firmly believe that if you, if you wish for it, if you wish for it, it will manifest. Because when you, when you think about it in your mind, somehow unconsciously, your actions will follow as well. I want, back when I was a student, oh, I thought to myself, I want a, I want a subject that I can do well in. I, I seem to be doing a bit well in science. So I started to, I realized I started to focus more on science because I liked it so much. So you see, thoughts manifest and you know, they become tangible through action, somehow, whether unconsciously or consciously. And then ultimately I think things will work out. Okay, and of so course it is very, of course, useful to have a wide range of skills as well, even if people don't see the immediate value of it, because I think they will work out. You can just draw from it anyway. Mm. You're like, okay. Okay. So it started with um, you thinking about uh, what you're good at, what you enjoy. I started with small goals. Yeah, really small goals. Mm -hmm. And I started with big goals. Can I do, I've been in this industry for, for several years already. Can I do something related to, can I do something even bigger than this? Yeah. I've been working in uh, industrial kitchens for my part-time jobs for a long time. Can I apply something more technical to it, which also uh, uses my, my science degree to an advantage? What, what I noticed interesting about uh, what you just described about how you found your purpose is that it started, uh, a lot of the thoughts started with, I want, you want to do this, I want to do this, I want, I want to do this. You should not say, I feel, I feel you should not say, I need, because I need implies that you have a lack of something in your life. Because I need, I need something. Oh, I need, I need to do well in school. I need, it creates like a sort of feeling of desperation. You need to say, I want. Because, hey, I'm content with my life right now. But I feel that I can do more. I want to do more. I have the, I have the capacity to do more. And then the so say I want, want rather than. 
yeah, between the I want to executing it, you know, mm. you, know you will face some barriers along the way, and then what mm. eventually help you to uh, overcome those barriers to to get what you want eventually. Mm. Again, a large part was being quite shameless and not caring what other people think. When I was younger, maybe if you asked me this a couple of years ago, oh, someone has um, questioned your career choices, I'll probably play, oh no, oh no. But now really, I just can't be bothered. I, I just want to do what I feel. I trust a lot of my gut nowadays, and I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Mm, and But I have to trust my gut also with educated choices. Because with such educated choices, is how I can convince people that I am right to trust my gut. So of course, um, in environmental, my grades were good enough for exa- uh, to go anywhere, whether in university, whether to go to go to pursue further education. Mm. Um, and of course, my 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 gut was telling me pursue environmental sciences. But I also have to think about it from a practical point of view and say to my 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 family, hey. I, I want to go overseas and do environmental sciences. I don't want to study law. I don't want to study medicine. I want to do environmental sciences, natural sciences. And this is why reasons one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, hundred and one. You know? So you need to trust your gut and you need to trust your head as well. These two are important. You cannot just trust your gut a hundred percent. But your gut needs to probably needs to be like the deciding factor. Okay, I I've looked at all all the figures right now. Now do I feel good about doing this? Okay, I'll do it. Mm, and and the gut feel is related to whether you feel good about it. And if you feel good about it, you know that you have made the right choice and right decision and you will ignore all the noises around you. Yeah. Because afterwards the nonsense won't it just doesn't contribute anything worthwhile, really. If it comes from a from a place of um even if it comes from a place of good intentions, sometimes they may not be very helpful to you. You know, if I had listened to people that told me, oh, Irong, a girl shouldn't be traveling by herself, you know, you it's not safe, it's not good, you know, you shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. Oh, people think if a girl travels by herself, you know, it's so improper. Then I wouldn't have gone overseas. I wouldn't have traveled to 64 countries by myself, you know? 64? Yeah, 64. Wow. <laughs> okay. So you were not swayed by opinions left and right because you know no. where you want to go. You know. I know where I want to go and I'm not and I'm not done anything. It's not I don't do stupid things for the sake of being stupid, you know? It's as simple as that, you know? I don't think a lot of people do things for the stupid things for the sake of being stupid. Mm. Okay. So yeah. So you're wrong. Um knowing that uh, you have already found your purpose, how would you describe in a nutshell what is the impact that you want to have in the world? using the skills, your diverse skill sets um, in environmental science and um, uh, conservation skills in, in, um, science, in, in microbiology and, and all the experiences that you've gathered um, over time and the experiences that you want to gather in future. What is it that you want to make? What kind of impact now, do you want to make in the world? Now, my purpose and the impact that I want to leave on the world it's ever-changing, I think. I don't have a concrete answer for that. But I do know that I want to continue learning. I want to continue getting as much knowledge as I possibly can. I want to do well in my new job. But I also don't want to forget the bigger picture, you know. Why are we doing this? 
because my 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 current company we have a very loft uh, a very very lofty goal. We want to reduce food waste by one percent global food waste, not Singapore based food waste. So that's a that's a huge goal. And to be honest, to be part of a of a bigger project rather than that's not just company based. Hmm. I want to be part of something big, but maybe because my purpose is ever changing. Maybe I just want. Maybe if you ask me the same question, maybe five years from now, I'll just say, "Oh, I just want a, a quiet life for myself, growing plants by myself with thirty-five cats in my house." You know that kind of thing. So, to give you a concrete answer, would be perhaps to undermine my versatility, my skill sets, and where that can take me in the future. Because you don't know. Great, uh, Irong. Thank you so much for joining me in this podcast. Uh, where can people find you more about uh, what's happening in your life? Um, where are you going? Right, because you have a very interesting journey. Oh man. <laughs> okay, I just have a Facebook, but that's very private. I'm very very private on social media. Mm-hmm. I do see myself setting up a LinkedIn sometime soon. I had LinkedIn, then I deleted it. And now I probably will have to set up a LinkedIn again because my current boss wants me to set up a LinkedIn. So maybe you will see me there in the near future. But for now, I'm going to be private. I'm going to be reading as many books as I can, learning as much as I can. But when I come out of hiding, oh man, I'll probably be quite fabulous. Okay, let me know when you do create a LinkedIn profile, yeah, and uh, I'll be the first person to connect with you, and so that I can keep with <laughs> what you're doing. Uh. I'll look forward to that. Okay. Okay, you're wrong. Thank you so Thank much you. for you know sharing with us um, um, the experiences that you've uh, had in in the UK, um, find and how you found your purpose and how you found your job and what you thought about it, and 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 really. I think it's a very valuable mindset that can be applied in any situation that uh, people are in because you need to find out what is the purpose, what is it that you want to do, and you don't want to be swayed by things going left and right because if you go that direction and go left and right, you might end up in a place that you eventually don't want yes. to be. Yeah. So Again, I want to reinstate yeah, the importance of flexibility. Your purpose can change, so don't beat yourself up for it, you know? Well, that's in yeah. Your purpose can change as well, and the ones you know, your 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 direction and your goals can change. But you got to know exactly where you want to go every single time. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks, okay. Elon, for joining me in this podcast, and I look forward to talk to you soon and see you on LinkedIn one day. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>